one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Thanks for joining us. Glad to have you along. Hope you'll stick around and spend the next hour with us. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. Our website is btgprogram.com and on social media you can find us at btgprogram. Hockey fans, Zach, are a different breed. You know that. If you need further evidence, just check out fans of the Ontario Hockey League's Erie Otters, not far from us here in Rochester. After defeating the London Knights in Game 7 on Tuesday, they celebrated by hurling cowbells down onto the ice. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbells. <laughs> the cowbells, of course, were intended for cheering, intended for noise-making, and they've, they'd actually been previously given out by the team as a promotion sold through the stadium vendors. But now operators of the arena, the Erie Insurance Arena, have now banned cowbells <laughs> from future events, as they say, to, quote, provide for a safer environment for the players, coaches, staff, and patrons. Fans have now done everyone a disservice by throwing them and not performing the heck out of those cowbells. <laughs> Boy, that's true. Like, If they're going to ban something, how about like the wave or those... Vuvuzulas or whatever those things are that they play at soccer games. You know, like, cowbells are great. Cowbells are great. They have their purpose. But why are you throwing them on the ice as fans? Your team just won game seven, and you're throwing them on the ice? I, that- I think there's probably a bunch of fans just going, oh, man, I'm so excited. What do I have to throw? How about this cowbell? It was free, <laughs> you know, and so rather than throw their hats or whatever. Adidas this week offered an apology after emailing customers with the subject line, congrats, you survived the Boston Marathon, following this week's running of the 121st Boston oh, Marathon. No. Many social media's were, users were immediately offended by the phrase, considering, of course, the 2013 bombing, which killed three people, injured more than 260 others. In a statement, Adidas referred to the race as, one of the most inspirational sporting events in the world, and I would agree with that, especially in light of you know what's happened a few years ago. For sure. They went on to say, clearly there was no thought given to the insensitive email subject line we sent Tuesday. We deeply apologize for our mistake. I get it. They could have definitely chosen better words, put a little more thought into this, but I, you know, there is also some good night. I mean, at some point, come on, get a life, quit being so sensitive. But Right. I think that's what we get with Twitter now is people are jumping on there and say, look what I found. You guys should be ashamed of yourselves. And, and, and instead of just saying, oh, well, that's a really tragic headline and moving on. Yeah, and it is an unfortunate headline. I mean, people refer to surviving things all the time. Granted, they're not necessarily in reference to some activity or event where people at one time lost their lives. But I think it should be noted that there are reports that at least two survivors of that 2013 attack ran in this year's race. I think that's a bold, courageous response that's to terrorism. Awesome. I, I I agree. 
And also this week, Colorado Rockies lefty Tyler Anderson, your Colorado Rockies, Zach, mm-hmm. was rebuked by the Dodgers' Clayton Kershaw. As Kershaw was about to deliver the very first pitch of the game, he had to step off the mound as time was called because Anderson was walking in from the bullpen after finishing his warm-ups just a little late. Kershaw said that, quote, that was one of the most disrespectful things I've been a part of in a game. I really didn't appreciate that. The game starts at 7.10. It started at 7.10 here for a long time. Just go around or finish earlier. That wasn't appreciated for sure. Not going to say any more. I'll get in trouble. Clearly annoyed before even throwing the first pitch, Kershaw paced around the mound before in that first inning, he ended up allowing a run, two hits. He walked a guy in that first inning. He, of course, then settled down and finished with 10 strikeouts in seven innings and getting his third win of the season over, over your rocks. Anderson said he wasn't intentionally trying to, trying to disrupt Kershaw. He didn't mean anything by his tardiness. His quote is, it wasn't intentional at all, and we were in foul territory. I was surprised that they wouldn't let him pitch, so we started jogging. All right, the, the guy's a little behind schedule. I'm sure, I believe him, he didn't mean anything by it. But of all people, being a pitcher himself, he should know how much pitchers are quirky. Mm-hmm. You know, they're dictated by habit. Just wait until the inning ends. What are you thinking? Just walking in. And pitchers get so locked in, and they're so creatures of habits. I, and maybe it's just the British blood running through me, the amount of British <laughs> blood. But I'm with Kershaw. Be on time. When he starts going, look, the game starts at seven seven ten. It started at seven ten here for a long time. Be here at seven ten. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm the type of person that if it starts at seven ten, be there by seven oh five. Like exactly be, right. Do not even run the risk of being late. I I'm with you one hundred percent. If you're on time, you're late. And yet another example of why I love sports and the stories that develop through the games, the various games, whether football, baseball, whatever. Longtime Seattle Mariner and fan favorite Ichiro Suzuki was honored in Seattle on Wednesday in what was probably his last game there. The current Miami Marlins outfielder was honored with a dual bobblehead and a pregame ceremony. And then doesn't he go out and drill a home run to right field in the ninth, which was likely his very last at-bat at Safeco Field? I mean, it was just what a moment. Ichiro was emotional as he rounded the bases. He received a standing ovation from the crowd. Hey, you don't need to make this stuff up in sports. It happens so often. Mm-hmm. These types of great moments. He said through his interpreter, I saw the ball go over the fence and I have to pitch myself, pinch myself, excuse me, to make sure that really happened. I feel grateful that happened. His last at bat there, what a career he had there. What a career he's had in every place he's gone. Oh, yeah. In his last at bat, likely a Safeco field, hits a home run, it just, you can't make that stuff up. And Ichiro is one of those guys that when he does any one of these remarkable things that he does, you just go, oh, of course he did that. Of course. Because he's Ichiro. Coming up later today on the program, we'll be joined by professional bowler and the head coach of Roberts Wesleyan's women's bowling team. Heather Dorico will join us right after the break. Plus, we'll talk a bit about Sterling Marte being suspended 80 games by Major League Baseball for taking a banned substance. Is 80 games enough? Will that deter players from cheating in the future? Zach has a new list of shenanigans statements. We'll tell you what it is that we like this week. All coming up today on the Beyond the Game program.
Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Joining us now is Heather Dorico. Heather is the women's bowling coach for Roberts Wesleyan College, and she competes professionally on the Professional Women's Bowling Tour. Heather, it's an honor to have you on the program. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. Roberts introduced bowling as an intercollegiate sport this past season, becoming the fourth ECC school to do so, along with a number of associate members who are competing in the sport. Can you walk us through the process What are some of the challenges of competing in a sport that's just being introduced by the school? Um, The biggest challenge for starting a brand new program um, is finding the players, really. You know, it's getting the word out there and letting people know that, hey, we have a program around here and you don't have to go five, six hours away now if you want to compete at the D2 level in bowling. Luckily for me, I'm, you know, in the bowling industry and, you know, I've been bowling around here locally for a while now. So pretty easy for me to get the word out, but um, I could see how it'd be a little bit more challenging for somebody that doesn't have that advantage. Was there a highlight moment this season after all the work of getting the team going, a moment when you could pause and celebrate that, that you've turned the corner when did you first feel that bowling was now truly part of the Red Hawks? There was a turning moment for us, actually, at the ECC Championship. Um, we didn't bowl too many tournaments this year. We did four, um, and we went to the ECC Championship. So we were pretty late in the game when we had this, like, aha moment. But the girls had a really, really rough first day of qualifying. And after that, the second day, it goes into bracket play, and it's double elimination. And we lost our first match, and the girls kind of huddled up together on their own, and they said, we don't want to come in last place. We're better than this. Like, we may be a first-year team, but we're totally capable of winning a match here. And that next match, they faced Malloy College, who has um, 
few more years experience than us. You know, they're not a brand new team to this. They have a coach that's been around a while. So they're kind of veterans to the ECC uh, right now. And they ended up taking it to seven games as a best of seven match. And you could just tell the passion with that team. They did not want to lose. They did not want to come in last place. And they fought so, so hard that match. And they ended up winning. And I think the entire bowling center was watching our match. Like everybody had turned to see what was going on because they were so wild up and really, really wanted to win. So that was a really, really cool moment for me. I was really excited for the future of us. Obviously, Roberts went out and they got the very best to coach the team. Not only are you a fitness and training professional, but you compete on the pro bowling circuit. And last year, that tour returned to Rochester. It'll be here again this coming July. How special was that for you, Heather, being from Rochester, to be part of the tour? Oh, man, it was so special to be able to bowl a tour stop right here and have my parents come watch um, and everybody that I've grown up bowling with come watch. And it's actually a little nerve-wracking at first because, you know, after practice, people started to kind of flood in and watch. And I remember my first game was awful, and I turned around and I looked at my dad. I'm like, Dad, I can't look at everybody back there right now. You know, it's like my coaches that I've, you know, grown up with, and I just wanted to make everybody so proud. And I was nervous playing in front of them. But then after I settled in, I was like, man, this is pretty cool, and I'm so excited that it's actually coming back again this year, and I'll be able to do that again and hopefully make everybody proud. (laughs) No, that's great. Hey, getting back to the Roberts team for a moment, can you take us through and sort of introduce us to the Red Hawks bowling team? Is is there a star on the team we should know or perhaps maybe some prospects or young players that you're counting on for big things uh, next season or the season after? Sure, sure. Um, Nicole Berry is kind of the um, one on our team with the most experience for sure. Um, She struggled a little bit the first part of the season. I think it was just she was so excited to be bowling and wanted to carry the weight of the entire team on, on her shoulders. Um, but going forward next year, we have three recruits coming in, um, all local girls, and they were all like the stars of their high school team. They're taking four players that were the stars of their team and putting them um, all on the same team. So I'm really, really excited about that because I think they'll be able to help each other out quite a bit. And uh, I think they'll mesh really well together. And they all have similar potential. Like they are all phenomenal bowlers. And at any given time, one of them could step up and lead the team. And, you know, the next day, another one could. So I'm really excited about that. That's pretty cool that you got some local girls coming on to the team. Mm -hmm. Can can you share what schools are coming from? Yeah, we have um, Sarah Gerken is coming from Hilton High School. We have Kayla Collin coming from Arcadia, which uh, is where I went to school, so that's pretty cool for me, too. Um, and then Emily Notabar, actually, she went to Sam Houston State for a year, and then she came back and just wanted to be somewhere closer to home, so um, she'll be a transfer coming in. But she sat out this year and did some transfer credits. So she has a little experience with college bowling already, which is definitely a bonus as well. We're talking with... Heather Dorico, pro bowler and women's bowling coach at Roberts Wesleyan College. I was looking at some of your social media posts, and I can tell that you don't appreciate when people dismiss bowling as not being a real sport. And as an athlete, 
you've accomplished many things where, where that no doubt counters those claims. After all, you've got a master's degree in kinesiology. You're a certified personal trainer, strength and conditioning specialist. That's not to mention being a pro bowler and a head coach at a D2 college. What is it that you tell people when they try to sell bowling short? And how do you encourage your student athletes to ignore the naysayers? You know, I actually encourage them not to ignore them, but to educate them because a lot of people just don't Mm. realize uh, what all goes into bowling at an elite level. You know, they think of when they go bowling, it's just something for fun. You know, they're eating pizza and they're throwing, you know, plastic house balls down the lane. And really, it's like golf. You know, you could go and you can do it for fun, but when you do it professionally or at an elite level, it's very, very different. You know, you have different bowling balls for different lane patterns. You're bowling on different lane patterns that, you know, the average person when they walk in a bowling center isn't going to be bowling on that. Um, we have an invisible playing field because you don't see what the oil pattern is on the lane and you have to adjust to it and figure it out. Um, you know, there's all these different factors and people just don't realize that. And once you start to tell them and explain to them, like, yeah, and I'm throwing a 15-pound bowling ball for eight hours a day at tournaments. I absolutely have to work out and be in shape just like any other sport. You know, my sport may be different, but it still takes a lot to compete at this level. And then people understand once they they hear a little bit more about it. What's it been like being part of the team at Roberts, being the newbie and all, acclimating to part of the coaching team there at Roberts Wesleyan College? Oh, man, it's been awesome. Um, I remember, like, after my first week coming home and I was talking to my parents, I'm like, man, everybody here is so friendly. You know, like, there's people saying hi to me and I don't really know who they are yet. And I was an assistant coach at Central Missouri and I thought that was a pretty good environment, but it was still very different. Um, You know, it took me a long time to get to know the coaches there. And here, it was like right away started to get to know the coaches and people would stop by my office just to say, hey, you know, I'm the basketball coach. It's nice to meet you. And they would go out of their way to make me feel welcome. And that was really, really nice and made me feel at home very quickly. Sounds like an encouraging environment. That's kind of cool. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Heather, you're the founder of BowlFit, where you train bowlers not only for performance, but also for injury prevention. What motivated you to get into that? And what kind of reception have you experienced among your peers? So my own bowling game is actually what encouraged me to get into fitness in the first place. Um, When I was in college, I always had slow ball speed and Everyone would say, oh, you'd be so good if you could get your ball speed up. And it drove me crazy. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get stronger and I'm going to find a way to get my ball speed up. And um, that's when I really got interested in, like, how can what I do in the gym be applied to my bowling? Like, what things do I have to do? And kind of experimented with myself. And after getting my master's degree, I, was, I had people coming to me for programs. Like, I really think I need to get in shape. You know, my knee bothers me when I bowl. I don't know what I should do. And I was like, I need to create a place where people can go to find the program for bowling that they can do at the gym. Um, so I just, one day I literally just sat down and said, I'm going to put this website together. And I just came up with this idea and I had no idea how people were going to take to it. Um, but it, it blew up. People loved it. And I had so many people coming to me for strength training programs. And now, even if people aren't doing my programs, um, I'm just proud that I feel like I started a trend because so many bowlers, especially the professionals, are very into being fit and working out in the gym now for bowling. 
So it's like I made this little bit of a change in our industry, and it was a step in the right direction for our sport. So I couldn't Mm. be happier with it. Good for you. I've heard of several colleges actually picking up bowling intercollegiately, and now CBS Sports Network, they're going to be televising a number of tournaments this year, including all four of the women's majors. The sport's obviously growing which must be exciting for you, but does it have any impact for Roberts and their ability to compete at a high level in the years to come that the sport is a growing sport? I think the fact that it's a growing sport actually helps us out because I've been around college bowling for a long time now. My brother is seven years older than me and he did it. So I watched it for years growing up. And it used to be that there were actually USBC teams, not NCAA, um, like NAI. NAIA teams and club teams were actually like the head honchos in bowling. And there were a bunch of powerhouses, you know, like five or six powerhouse teams. And that's where everybody went. Well, then NCAA started adding more and more programs and scholarship money for girls to go play for them. And so now it's kind of leveled out and you don't really have the same powerhouse teams year after year it's more it's changing every single year and any team at any point can step up and um you know make it to the the national the top eight that compete at nationals whereas a few years ago you know you would just expect it's only going to be nebraska vanderbilt and the teams that have done it year after year and now it's, it's changing so it's a good thing and it gives us a lot of hope that we can get there with with a few years i think once again, we're talking with professional bowler and Roberts Wesleyan College women's bowling coach, Heather DeRico. Heather, with all the things you're involved in, you must have a busy schedule filled with various challenges, various successes, people issues. How does faith play a role in your career as a professional, as a businesswoman, and also as a college coach? So with everything that I do, it's, it has been hard sometimes since I graduated with my master's degree to figure out if I'm on the right path or if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and am I fulfilling my purpose that um, God has laid out for me? And the way I got the job to coach at Roberts Lessing, to coach this bowling team, is kind of just like a divine intervention because I was on a flight heading out to California for a tour stop, and I happened to be sitting next to a woman and her husband that work in human resources at Roberts Wesleyan. And we just got to talking. She was asking why I was going to Las Vegas and I was telling her about bowling. And she says, well, you know, Roberts is looking for a bowling coach. And I said, no way. And, you know, she's like, if you're interested, you know, you should apply and we'll, you know, get you in for an interview. And at the time I was like, do I want to be a coach? And I was like, you know what? I think this is a sign. I think this is something that I am meant to do. So Faith has kind of just played this role of being a guiding light and trusting that God has a plan for me and just kind of following the signs that he gives me that keep me on this path. Um, and I try to tell it to my girls too, you know, if you get lost sometimes and you, you don't know what direction to go, just kind of try to listen to God. He'll, he'll point you in the right direction if you listen to him and trust him. So um, that's been the biggest factor for me the last couple of years in finding my way. People have different faith journeys, faith paths. Some grow up through the church. Some come to it later in life. Would you mind sharing with us how your faith first became real to you? How old were you when you began focusing on your faith more seriously? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up going to a Catholic school, um, but I don't think that 
faith was as important to me then. I think it was just something that I had to do. You know, growing up, going to school, I had to go to church. And um, I didn't fully understand my relationship with God. And I don't think I understood it until uh, my college years when I went through some harder times. And I really had to lean on my faith. And there were times that I would read the Bible just to kind of bring me at peace with things and just to calm me down. Um, It was very grounding for me. And then also when I graduated school and moved back home for a little bit, um, I felt like my mom needed something to go to. And this is going to sound so silly, but um, we went to a church and we found a small group. And I wanted her to do the small group with these women, but she wouldn't go without me. So I went with her. And I think it ended up being more of a transformation for me than it was for her. Mm. (laughs) Um, It just really, really solidified my faith and... um, it helped me grow into a deeper relationship with God. And that was just like a, a very changing thing for me. Instead of feeling like I had to go to church, I wanted to go to church. You know, trying to change my mom's life, and I changed my own. <laughs> cool. We like to pray for our guests, Heather. We like to uh, let our listeners have the ability to pray for them. They can feel connected. How can we pray for you? What What can we pray for you about? Um, Just pray that... Uh, things continue to grow within our program and that we are um, able to find the right resources that we need to build this program and also to keep me grounded. It's it's hard sometimes being a leader in this generation. It's a very different generation than even when I grew up and, um, and I'm only 28, but learning how to lead these girls with faith and and help them grow as people. It, it can be a challenge nowadays, and I really, really want to take that head on. I want to be a great coach, but I want to be a great mentor to them for the rest of their life. So just praying that I find the right ways to do that and do it with integrity and with faith. Heather, I want to thank you again for coming on the program, joining us, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. That's Heather Dorico joining us here on the Beyond the Game program, professional bowler, Certified trainer, business owner, Roberts Wesleyan College bowling's coach. I mean, this woman is involved in a great many things. And how cool is it to hear her want to be a better coach, want to be a better leader at only 28 years old? You know, to have, she wants to, she's asking us to pray for her so that she can be a better leader to the girls on her team. I, I think that's exciting. I think that already shows great leadership and, Uh, another great coach in Robert's lineup. Stay with us. we got more coming up after the break. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. All right, here we go with this week's Red Hawks report for our broadcast on April 22nd, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Robert's Wesleyan College. The Roberts Wesleyan track and field teams competed at the Brockport Invitational last Friday night. Freshman Ashton Colaire was victorious for the Red Hawks at the 110-meter hurdles, going along with a second-place finish in the 400-meter hurdles. Senior Malcolm Shaw was also a Red Hawks winner in the javelin throw, and the women's 4x100 relay team also grabbed a first-place finish at Brockport. After Friday's event, the teams moved on to the Bucknell Bison Outdoor Classic on Saturday, joining several Roberts distance runners who were already there. At that event, senior Rachel Hutchinson placed first overall in the 1500-meter race, while fellow senior Elizabeth Valento 
finished fourth in the 5,000-meter race, but in doing so, set a new Roberts Wesleyan women's record. Senior Chelsea Hayward won both the 100-meter dash and the 200-meter dash. Hayward's finishes were strong enough to finish ahead of a number of D1 competitors in those events. The teams now look ahead to today's ECC championships in West Nyack, New York. The women's lacrosse team now stands at 6-10 overall and 3-4 in conference after their losing streak reached four games this past week. Last Friday, they lost to New York Institute of Technology 19-8 despite continued strong play from senior Cassidy Joukowsky. Joukowsky scored three goals and had two assists in the loss, and junior Joanna Price added two goals. And this past Tuesday, despite falling behind 7-2 in the first half against Edinburgh University, the Red Hawks mounted a strong comeback, though ultimately fell short 9-8. Joukowsky adding three more goals and now has 78 on the season. On the men's side, despite four goals and an assist from sophomore Cody Menzies, the Red Hawks fell to the University of District of Columbia on Saturday 10-8. The men's tennis team dropped a pair at home over the weekend and have now fallen out of East Coast Conference playoff contention. After losing 6-3 to St. Thomas Aquinas on Friday, they were tripped up by Queens College on Saturday in the final match of the season, 8-1. The Red Hawks finished the season 13-12 overall, though just 1-4 in conference. In the week ahead, you have two opportunities to catch the men's lacrosse team in action at home. On Tuesday the 25th, they will host Mercyhurst University at 6 p.m. And if you act fast, you still have time to see them later today, that being at noon, as they take on Malloy College. And next Saturday, April 29th, the women will be hosting the University of Bridgeport in women's lacrosse at noon. That's going to do it for the Red Hawks Report for this week, April 22nd, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. And remember, you can always follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Red Hawks or visit their website athletics.roberts.edu. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024 and let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. 
Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view, highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show, recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here's your host, Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson. Here is Zach Barletta with this week's shenanigans statements. Number one, the Buffalo Bills will draft their franchise quarterback in next week's NFL draft. You know, Zach, I'm going to say shenanigans because I'm still not convinced there's a franchise guy out there. The Bills pick 10th if there's no movement, and I don't know, there may or may not still be one of, what would you say, there's probably two big names, Deshaun Jackson and Mitch Trubisky, that's who they're, yeah, they're Watson, both not going to be. Kaiser, Deshaun Kaiser yeah, Kaiser, is kind but of he's not going to go that high, I don't think. I you don't know? think so either, but. I think it's questionable if either of those two guys give the Bills more than what they have in Tyrod Taylor, and I'm not really a Tyrod Taylor fan, you know that. But I, I think unless there were more certain options, more true franchise guys, I think the Bills are better off taking a chance at addressing other needs. And uh, But I'm interested to hear what you say. You follow the Bills a little more closely. Uh, I disagree. I say shenanigans. I do not think they will draft their franchise quarterback. Um, because basically any quarterback you would draft this year is not going to be your starter. They're a team that is feeling the pressure to get some wins right now. I think you can draft, say, Corey Davis to play wide receiver at pick 10, and he's an instant starter and and an upgrade over all of the depth guys that you have. That's a guy you could take in the first round who make an impact right away. And the quarterbacks in next year's draft, a lot of scouts have said, are better than anybody in this year's draft. Take your wide receiver. If you want a cornerback, maybe Marlon Humphrey or something like that, you have needs a corner. Again, a guy that could start right away, play right away, and then you take your shot at quarterback maybe next year. So that's that's the way I see it going down. Some of the reports that I've seen seem to indicate they're focused on tight end too. Yeah, um, Howard is a big, powerful, pass-catching tight end. If it were me, I think we talked about this when my brother was on, I would I want Corey Davis. I want that big, game-breaking wide receiver. I feel like there's lots of tight ends that you could go get maybe in free agency or draft in later rounds. I would I want that big playmaking wide receiver. Speaking of the draft, Oklahoma running back Joe Mixon will be taken in the first four rounds of the NFL draft. I agree. And in your statement, I suspect you did this on purpose. You opened it up to the first four rounds, which I think is deep enough in the draft for teams to start taking some chances. And from what I hear, this is a guy who there's a lot of people out there who support him. He's a guy with a lot of support who made a really bad decision. I mean, a truly horrendous Mm -hmm. act. But he told USA Today this week that I gave them all my word. I've had no other trouble, but I understand that my circumstances will be different than any other person on the team. And, and yeah, I think he has enough people saying positive things about him that somebody will take a chance. And, you know, I hope it works out for them and I hope it works out for him. Yeah, I I was really torn trying to come up with a verdict on this question because there are guys that are out of the league because of domestic violence incidences, guys like Ray Rice and Greg Hardy and stuff. Uh, of course, those guys are veterans. They're not young guys with as much left in the tank as Joe Mixon has. But in the end, I think that teams are always willing to overlook a player's faults if there's obvious talent. Uh, I've read scouts who have called Mixon the best running back in the draft. I just think there's no way that somebody like that falls 
to the third day of the draft. Somebody like the Cowboys or the Ravens will always be there to take a chance in the second or third round. Yeah, and that's why I say I suspect you worded the question that way by opening it up to the first four rounds because he's not going in the first round, and I doubt very much he'd go in the second. But you start getting in that third or fourth round, teams can afford to take a chance with the third, fourth pick, later picks. Number three, former Houston Texans wide receiver Andre Johnson, who spent the last couple years with the Colts and the Titans, signed a one-day contract with the team so that he can retire a Texan. Truth or shenanigans, Andre Johnson is a first ballot Hall of Famer. What do you think, Zach? I think yes. Um, He does not have the touchdowns scored in his career that a lot of the Hall of Famers do. He's 40th uh, all-time in career touchdowns, but number 11 all-time in catches and yards. I think he gets underrated because he's not the blazing speed guy, but he's a guy that you could always depend on to go up and get the ball and come down with it. And if you needed a first down, if you needed a big gain, he was there. And he, to me, is an elite wide receiver who belongs in the Hall of Fame. I agree. And I think he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, too. I I mean, it's football. Don't they usually induct larger classes than any other sport? I mean, there's usually seven, eight guys that are getting in. I mean, this guy's played at a premier position for 14 seasons. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, he's ninth all time in receptions. I, I actually thought I heard he was 10th in yards. The best QB he had to work with was Matt Schaub. He played on some terrible teams, and he still put up really good numbers. The fact that he doesn't have those touchdown catches, I think, is a reflection of the guys that were playing quarterback more than his ability. I've heard people say he's a Hall of Famer, but not a first ballot guy. I I struggle with that. If you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. Just put him in, and I think they will. And I think if you look at the fact that the NFL has been around a long time, and for as many guys as have played the position of wide receiver, and he's, like we said, 10th or 11th all-time in receptions and yards, that's pretty impressive. That, to me, is definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. Number four, Blake Griffin will leave the L.A. Clippers as a free agent this offseason. Yeah, I, I agree. I think so. The Clippers can offer him the most money, but he's been connected in rumors to the Lakers. He's been connected to the Celtics, and I think the Celtics offer him a really good chance to succeed despite the star power that they have on the Clippers. It just it hasn't worked out. And I read in one place that the problem might be for the Clippers that due to their cap space, they're not going to be able to replace any of their stars who, if they decide to leave, if they don't resign them themselves. So if any mm-hmm. one of the big three leave, that being Griffin, Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, there's a good chance to lose them all because they can't replace those guys. Mm-hmm. So why would the others stick around? And if that's so... Um, you you know, can Clippers keep all three from testing free agency? I, I doubt it. So I I see Blake Griffin moving on, but and I I agree with you. I I I agree with the statement. I think he will leave. I think that um, if you're the Clippers, you have to keep Chris Paul, right? You've got to lock him up. So then you're looking at can you afford to sign another big deal like that and have two of them? And I think that Blake Griffin also is sort of the face of this team that is underachieved and has had so many expectations and failed to reach them. So I'm not saying it's time to blow it up, but it might be time for some turnover. And I think that Chris Paul stays, Blake Griffin leaves. Well, if Blake Griffin leaves, that's that's the issue that I was kind of alluding to. If Blake Griffin leaves, why does Chris Paul stay? They can't replace another with their cap space limitations. They can't replace Blake Griffin unless they sign their own guy being Blake Griffin. So why would Chris Paul stick around? They're not going to be any better without Blake Griffin. 
That's a good point. Who knows? Maybe they, everybody leaves and they're just terrible. And that's what I think. Yeah, I think they lose them all. Last but not least, the Cleveland Indians being in last place in the AL Central is the biggest surprise in the early goings of the Major League season. What are your thoughts? I think it's a big one. Um, I don't know I if agree. I would say it's a big one. It's the biggest. I think the Twins being over 500 was, <laughs> frankly, <laughs> kind of a shock. That's what um, I have in my notes. Yeah. Uh, maybe Texas. And yes. as we're recording, is five and ten. Um, Miami's in second place in the East. St. Louis is under five. There's a lot of big surprises. I, you know, what? I will say though that Cleveland being in last place uh, at this point in the season. You say last place. They're one game out of first. They're all bunched up there yeah. at, at around five hundred. I'm not worried about Cleveland. I think they're going to be fine. I say shenanigans. That's not the biggest surprise. I'm a little surprised, but look how well the Yankees have been playing is more surprising. The fact that the clubs haven't, the Cubs haven't played better is more surprising. You mentioned That's the true. Twins. You mess, mess, mentioned the Rangers. Heck, I think maybe the whole league, the, the NL West is more surprising to me than, than the Indians. So I don't think they're the biggest surprise. I think it's a bit of a surprise, but like I said, they're only a game. They're going to be fine. By the time this show airs, they could be back in first place again. <laughs> Probably that's, will be. You know, that's how how early it is. Coming up after the break, we're gonna we're gonna get into the Starling Marte suspension a little bit. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Is here Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian Sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network. More than a game. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Rick Benson and Zach Barletta recording the Beyond the Game program from Rochester, New York. btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. We want to say hello to those listening in the great city of San Francisco. Thanks to those of you who downloaded last week's podcast. You can join those folks, folks from all across the nation, even various parts around the world who download the program each week. You can find the show on iTunes or at our website, btgprogram.com. In fact, all our previous shows 
All our previous broadcasts are archived on our website. They're available for downloading right there, btgprogram.com. Starling Marte this week, Zach, was suspended 80 games by Major League Baseball for violating the league's substance abuse policy. And I guess the thing I, I find myself asking is, why? What are Me you too. thinking? <laughs> yeah, I'm especially upset because I have him on a fantasy team that's very important. So oh, thanks yeah. for nothing, Starling. He's in the fourth year of a six-year deal, which could turn into eight years. It's going to pay him like $55 million. So obviously he's not playing for a contract. He had a little ankle injury, something insignificant during the WBC. But other than missing a few games last year, it's not like he's battling back from an injury. I, I just... I don't get it. Here's a 28-year-old Marte who, coming in off an all-star season, hit a career-high 311. Why in the world are you taking some sort of banned substance? So now the question becomes, was he trying to raise the level of his game? Or is this a guy that's been taking PEDs all, all along and only has now gotten caught? You know, once caught, everything you've done mm-hmm. becomes in question. I, everything you've done. It becomes questionable. Of all the guys that you can think of that have been connected to some sort of banned substance, are there any you really believe were a one-time user? Of course not. So why would why would you think that of Marte? The one guy who comes close is Andy Pettit. Mm-hmm. Now, being a personal friend and all, that's, you know, <laughs> I believe him. I do. When he said he simply used it to get back on the field, I, mm-hmm. I believe that. And seriously, I have met him a couple times. I've talked to him a few times. Uh, you know, I know of his character. I know of his integrity. And I'm, and I'm trying to, I'm not trying to be that guy. Way to slip in the humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that, but it, it does have an effect. On, and I could be completely naive about this, but I believe him. But again, whether he was trying to come back from injury at all, no less guilty, no less wrong for mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marte alluded in a statement to neglect and lack of knowledge and having made a mistake. Again, no less wrong, no less guilty. In fact, ignorance is absolutely no excuse, especially in this era. How mm-hmm. an athlete is ignorant of what's going in his body I mean, listen, if you don't know that by now, yeah. I certainly wouldn't call the man stupid. But this act, if it's the result of a lack of knowledge or of ignorance, well, then the decision is certainly stupid. I mean, he tested positive for a drug called Nandrolone. Victor Conte, you remember the name, of mm-hmm. course, the former Balco boss, went on 2020, named a bunch of names. He's, of course, connected to Barry Bonds. He was reported by by Vice Sports as having said that athletes who test positive for Nandrolone are often t- taking something else. He said Nandrolone has the, quote, unfortunate combination of staying in a person's system for an excessively long time and being detectable at what's called ultra-trace rates. According to Conte, a single use will remain in a person's system for at least six months and as many as 18 months. Wow. So back to my original question, why? why? Of all the things, why would you take this? Why would you risk it? It seems to me that if somebody's going to cheat with a banned substance, this would be the last yeah, one you really— Yeah, it seems like the worst one you could use. Yeah, it is. He gave further evidence, Conte did, that uh, of this being a poor choice because athletes can test positive even if that's not what they're taking. This is what I suspect is the case with Marte. Why would you take it? There's no reason for him to be taking that. Conte said that in many illicit labs, 
they don't adhere to cleaning the equipment, the the tubes that they use. And I'm picturing, oh, you know, the safe. Muppets in a in that uh, <laughs> uh, Bunsen burner type Just lab, beakers of bubbling yeah, green yeah, liquid yeah. everywhere. Well, they don't clean those, so athletes can test for positive for one drug that they never taken because that same equipment was used to make another one. And that's what I suspect would be the case here because, again, nandrolone is such a long-lasting one. And it just so happened that Marte's suspension broke this week while the Yankees were playing the White Sox. And there's Melky Cabrera on my TV currently playing for the White Sox. And you can say what you want. But in my opinion, this is a guy that taking PEDs worked out pretty okay for. Mm -hmm. Here's a guy that he was suspended for 50 games back when he was with the Giants. He was a good player, nice player, great arm. But not necessarily a great player, but he's suspended for 50 games. He, at the time, you weren't necessarily automatically ineligible for the postseason, though the Giants didn't use him. And they went on to win the World Series. He got a ring. So, I mean, is it worth it? After sitting the 50 games, he got he signed a two-year, $16 million contract with Toronto and now is in a three-year, $42 million contract with the White Sox. So, is it worth it? Sort of seems it, you know, and I'm not justifying it, but there's a problem here. I, I I think players who weigh out the potential financial benefit compared to the risk and they, and they deem it worth it. The penalties aren't severe enough, in my opinion. I don't think really, I don't think we're serious about eliminating PEDs from the game as players say they are. The fact is, and please understand, this is not a supporting statement, but there are benefits in cases like Cabrera, you can think of Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, that home run chase and what that meant to attendance and baseball and restoring the game. And Absolutely. Both named, connected to performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, look, I'm, I wouldn't support a permanent ban on a first offense. There's things that could be, you know, that could result in a positive test. It may be a mistake, but Look, if there's an appeal process in place to safeguard against that and there are sufficient there's sufficient evidence to penalize a player, then I think that penalty needs to be severe enough where if they weigh out the risk to the reward, mm-hmm. the risk is too much to take. But if players are, are serious about the problem, they have to allow through their union for increased testing. And not just increased testing, but the penalty has to be so severe it's got to be something that the union would really never agree to. Something like if you test positive the next year, you have to play for the league minimum or something. Just because it has to be something that no, that removes the incentives that you've ta- already talked about. They have to allow for increased testing. Mm-hmm. Anthony Rizzo alluded that to that this week. He said that you know he hasn't been tested since the season started. It's been a solid two months was, I think, his quote. Uh, that's collectively bargained. So the players and their union have to allow for this, but you got to do increased testing because if the increased likelihood of getting caught, that would certainly impact a player, which is why I think like here, because he's taking a drug that lasts for 18 months, that's increasing the likelihood. I can't think yeah. that he would intentionally do that. You know, it's easy to indict a guy like Marte who gets caught cheating. I mean, obviously it's a poor decision. But people need to be careful about vilifying a guy like Marte. I I don't know what went into that. I don't know what led to that decision. I don't know the pressures that he was facing. Uh, I'm not, again, not justifying it, but decent people have been pressed into doing 
indecent things. The classic example being, would you steal food to feed your starving family? And, you know, people face everyday issues, difficult everyday issues. And uh, really what it comes down to is how much do you trust God? And I don't want to come across as if I'm above slipping up, if I'm above making such a decision. I know my heart and I shudder to think of what it could be capable of if pressed. Jeremiah 17.9 says, A heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And some may want to condemn Marte, but yet they take from their employer or they fudge their taxes a little bit. A recent college campus survey revealed that 80%, Zach, of those polls say they've cheated in school. Most say they cheated seldom or maybe only once, but only 6% said that they've never cheated at all. And many people just don't regard cheating as a problem because they feel like everybody does it. But cheating is stealing. It's not yours. You're taking something that you didn't earn. And when taking a performance-enhancing drug, you're cheating, man. Regardless of the reason, whether you can justify it or not, whether you're coming back from injury, I get that. But it's still wrong. God is fairly direct about stealing. It's the eighth of the Ten Commandments, Exodus twenty fifteen: thou shalt not steal. A player who takes a banned substance is he's lying when by pl- saying he's playing by the rules, just as someone who fudges their taxes. Ephesians four twenty five says, "Wherefore putting put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbors, for we are members of one another." I think of Mal- the book of Malachi in the first chapter. There's a very similar story to somebody who perhaps would be accused or, or, or guilty of uh, of taking PEDs. In that chapter, God is accusing the priests of offering polluted, tainted sacrifices. So uh, to me, it's very similar. In verse 14 of Malachi 1, it says, But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. And you think of believers, we're priests too. You know, we're supposed to be giving God our best work. He doesn't want weak or or tainted or polluted sacrifices. He wants our our very best. He wants us to be a living sacrifice. 1 Peter 2.5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Romans 12.1 says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of work. I mean, we're supposed to give God our very best. We're supposed to not offer tainted sacrifices. And when we're cheating, when we're lying, when we're stealing, you know, that's a, those are tainted things in our lives. Mm-hmm. Cheating is really just the symptom of a sinful inner condition. And, and we talked about the heart earlier, but we all have that same condition of sin. Romans three ten and 11 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. First John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're all sinful. And there is a penalty for sin. It's a separation from a holy God. It means that when we pass away from this earth, when it comes our time to die, if we've not paid back the debt of our sin, then um, that's an eternity in hell, trying to pay it back. Fortunately, Jesus paid that debt for us. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Forgiveness of sins, as I say, we're all, we all have them. 
Forgiveness is found at the cross in Jesus Christ. He took our sins on the cross and offers us forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God gives us all an opportunity to either accept or decline his plan of salvation, which is repenting, seeking forgiveness. Basically, we get to decide between heaven and hell, really. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that if you, anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to be saved from your sins, if you know you're a sinner, and, and you are, ask God today to forgive you. Don't wait. Pray to God. Tell him you know you're a sinner. Tell him you believe Jesus died on the cross for you as a sacrifice. Admit your guilt. Seek his forgiveness. And then leave your sins in the past. Turn away from them. Begin a new journey seeking after righteousness, desiring to grow grow closer to God. Look, if you want to know more about a faith in Christ, reach out to us through our website, btgprogram.com, through Facebook, through Twitter. And if you want some prayer, you can even leave an anonymous message on our studio line. 585-431-1202. Before we, I'm looking for my notes here. Before we close the show, I want to tell you what it is that I like this week. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. What I like this week was United States Marine Staff Sergeant Jose Luis Sanchez, who ran the Boston Marathon without fainting in a time more than three and a half hours behind the race winner. But this hero did it with a prosthetic limb and while carrying a large American flag. Sanchez's left leg was shattered when he stepped on an IED in Afghanistan in 2011. This was his third marathon, and though he admits to not liking running, he does it to support the Semper Fi Fund, which supports wounded veterans. He told Runner's World magazine that I want to recognize veterans and everyone who thinks they can't do something. So to the NBC.com sports writer who tweeted a photo of the American flag displayed at the Braves home opener and wrote, keep politics out of sports, please. We like our sports to be politics free. And to the student Senate at UC Davis who voted last week to make displaying the flag optional at its meetings, as well as to Hampshire College who decided to just Stop flying the flag altogether after the presidential. And to anyone else who sees the flag as a symbol of oppression, you should be ashamed of yourselves. You should learn from the sacrifices of such a proud American as this patriot, Staff Sergeant Jose Luis Sanchez. His strength, his courage, his actions are what I like this week. He was also my you like that this week. And we had no idea until we got to the studio that we had each picked him, but... It was an inspirational video to watch him crossing the finish line, and uh, I have a lot of respect for what he did uh, serving our country and for what he did in the Boston Marathon as well. So that was my you like that as well. That's our show for this week. Thanks to you for being with us. This has been the Beyond the Game program. Let me remind you, Zach's new podcast he does with his brother, Myth and Mysteries, available on iTunes and Google Play. The website's mythandmysteriespod.com. If you enjoy the show, Support our ministry of sharing the gospel through Sports Talk Radio. Consider supporting us with a donation of a financial gift of any amount. Visit our website, btgprogram.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. Everybody.